and welcome to Legally Bond, a podcast presented by the law firm Bond, Shannick and King. I'm your host, Kim Wolf-Price. In this episode, we're speaking with Amber Lawyer, an associate in the business department focusing on data privacy. In fact, Amber is the deputy chair of our data privacy and cybersecurity group. Hey, Amber, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Kim. Well, I'm excited to have you with us today. I know how incredibly busy you are, so thank you for making time. We do have a lot to talk about from data breaches to cybersecurity awareness month, but I have to start with why I'm particularly excited to have this conversation. You're the first guest on the podcast who I knew as a law student, and I'm now interviewing you here at, with your role at Bond, so I'm really excited. So thank you for being here. <laughs> I'm very excited too. I'm glad to be here. All right. Thank you. All right. So um, do you remember coming into a class I was teaching after, right after you graduated? And I said, hey, talk about data privacy. And you were a little hesitant to do that. <laughs> I do remember. I think I was a first year associate yes. um, and it was a relatively new area and I was a little nervous to discuss it, but I think it worked out in the end. It worked out very well. And I think it's working out pretty well a few years later too. I'll right. Just say that. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, before we get too into the legal issues, which uh, will make everyone want to check their fireballs and conduct um, fishing exercises, let's spend a few minutes first talking about your background so the listeners can get to know you. So where did you go to law school and undergrad? Sure. I attended the Syracuse College of Law for law school. And for undergrad, I attended St. Lawrence University. Very nice. And so since you're not too far removed from law school, what were some of the things you were involved with in law school? I was a member of the Syracuse Law Review. My three-year year, I was business editor. I was also a member of Moot Court Honor Society, and I participated in law school flag football, basketball, and softball. Very nice. All right. Very nice. Little known things about law school that they have all those teams roaming around. Right. I do remember all the injuries that would happen. Yes. Yeah. I actually ruptured my Achilles in the law school basketball tournament. So that was the end of my basketball career. Yes. Very, very dangerous. Who knew lawyers were so aggressive? <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> so Amber, how'd you get the bond? That's a good question. So I received an offer my two L, for my 2L year summer for the bond summer associate program, which I accepted. I summered here and I was lucky enough to receive a post-grad offer I started in September after I graduated, and I have been here ever since. All right. And we're very glad of that. Very glad of that. So I guess one thing we didn't touch on, where did you grow up? So I'm actually from the Adirondacks, Tupper Lake, New York. It's a very small town up near Lake Placid. Beautiful up there. Very beautiful. Everyone should go visit. Good part of the state to go take a look at. All right. So any pandemic hobbies or binge watching since this is our theme while we're still going through this? <laughs> well, um, my fiance and I are both golfers. So we've been trying to extend the golf season as long as possible in upstate New York. But in terms of binge watching or hobbies, I think we've binge watched every single possible show throughout the pandemic. So I guess all of them just to get by. <laughs> Made the end. We've reached the end of the catalog. Yes, that's right. We need some new ones. (laughs) Totally understand. I totally understand. Well, thank you for the background. I usually say that's important for listeners to get to know the guests, but I always really enjoy that part too. So truly, it's probably just self-indulgent. All right. So we have Jessica Copeland, the chair of the Data Privacy and Cybersecurity Group on the podcast. But that was a few months ago now. And for our talk today, I hope we can start with some of the basics So let's start with the acronym that got the ball rolling, GDPR. Amber, 
What is it and why do we know about it? Sure. Great place to start. So GDPR, or also known as the General Data Privacy Regulation, is a data privacy regulation developed in the European Union. It was a regulation intended to harmonize data privacy laws across Europe. It was adopted in 2016 and became effective May 25, 2018. Around this same time, data passed oil as the most valuable resource in the world. Wow. Okay. Maybe we should say that again. Data passed oil as the most valuable resource in the world. Wow. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. No, that's exactly right. And so what did that mean for the industry? Companies began collecting as much data as possible, as often as possible. And regularly, this meant that those companies and businesses were turning around and selling data for profit. So GDPR comes into the mix. This is also around the same time as the Facebook Cambridge Analytica scandal. GDPR comes into play to regulate companies' collection and use of personal information of residents of the European Union. It really was a seminal data privacy regulation, um, which came into play right when I started at Von Schoenigen King. And it affords privacy protections and rights to individuals located in the EU. So that's the general background of GDPR. Okay. So why do things like this matter to say, you know, a small business in the Adirondacks with an online presence? Why would GDPR matter to them? Sure. That's a great question. So the regulation is extraterritorial in scope. What that means is that it applies to businesses and entities located wholly outside of the European Union. A small shop in the Adirondacks could be subject to GDPR if they are selling products in the European Union or marketing to individuals in the European Union. Generally, if a business collects or processes any type of personal data of an individual located in the EU, they may be subject to GDPR. So at first, was part of the issue convincing clients that this mattered to them? Yes, of course. So we had a little bit of resistance in the United States to the extraterritorial scope, but collecting and processing of data has become an international affair for most of our clients. As we've seen tech develop, technology develop, we've seen a lot more of data sharing globally. So what does that mean? A lot of the markets are much more accessible. The EU marketplace is accessible even to a small shop in the Adirondacks. And therefore, we have businesses that are affected by GDPR, whether that's a business that's storing data on a cloud server in Ireland or a higher ed institution partnering with another for a study abroad program or a company that sells products in Germany. There's a global marketplace now and as such, a lot more global data collection. And I imagine for our higher ed clients, since most higher education institutions have students from the EU who just come in to get their degree. So right away, this really did affect them. Yeah, that's right. It really turned into a sea change for a lot of our clients. So we had clients like higher ed institutions that have to collect quite a bit of data from individuals, and they have applicants located all over the world. And so they needed to reevaluate their data collection practices, their data safekeeping practices, and really conform to the seminal data privacy law. Right. So we have GDPR, but that was really just the beginning, wasn't it? Yes, that's right. (laughs) It was really the spark for a wave of data privacy laws globally. It became the gold standard and the model around the world. And we've also seen that 
stateside as well. Yeah, and I think an issue there that you and I have talked about outside of the podcast, because yes, I do talk about these things outside of the podcast. <laughs> That's how much more nerd I am. It's okay. But in the US, there isn't a federal or national law on this topic and it's state by state. So can you talk a little bit about which states have data privacy laws and what's coming up? Yeah, that's right. So there is no federal general consumer data privacy law, although I'll say it's not a new concept and that we do have other regulations, privacy regulations like HIPAA, Gramm-Leach-Bliley, FERPA, COPA, but we do not have any type of federal general data privacy law yet. We have several states that have followed suit after the implementation of GDPR. The first was California. California adopted the California Consumer Privacy Act, also known as CCPA, and it was signed into law in 2018, right on the wave of GDPR, and became effective in January of last year. The CCPA is a comprehensive consumer data privacy law, just like GDPR, and was actually recently amended last year through a ballot initiative, which is now effective of January 1st. 2023 will become the CPRA, the California Privacy Rights Act. So we have California. California was really the first to come to bat in the U.S. for its so state where's New York? Privacy they usually They usually compete. Where's New York, Amber? <laughs> That's right. So New York has a few active bills in play. We haven't seen anything yet. The next state to follow was actually Virginia this year. Virginia passed a comprehensive consumer data privacy law and then Colorado. So right now we have California, Virginia, and Colorado up to bat, I would say would be Massachusetts, New York, maybe North Carolina, Pennsylvania. So we have several other states with legislation pending and we'll see. Okay. Well, and just for those who love acronyms, uh, things like FERPA or the Federal Education Right to Privacy Act and HIPAA is our Healthcare Portability and Accountability Act. So, and then CCPA is now CCPRA? CPRA, the California Privacy Rights Act, which amended CCPA. CCPA. Okay. And now with these various state laws, are they so far, are they fairly similar or are there nuances that clients need to pay attention to? There are nuances between the laws, between the statute in California and then what's coming in Virginia and Colorado. So, So we don't know yet what we will see for Virginia and Colorado, but I would say that They are modeled after the California Consumer Privacy Act, which is modeled after GDPR. So our clients have a general understanding of what they need to look out for. There are specific nuances in that there are very specific regulations around CCPA and timeframes and notice obligations and things like that. So there is somewhat of an individualized approach. But if our clients are compliant with GDPR, then they are miles ahead of clients with no general data privacy compliance. And uh, I'm sure there are businesses out there who fall into that second category still. Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. Plenty. (laughs) And the reason you said that with Colorado and Virginia is because the law may have passed, but the regulations on how to implement that law aren't out and fully in place yet. That's correct. So Virginia is not even effective until January 1, 2023. Colorado is July 1, 2023, and we do not have all the implementing regulations yet. But that doesn't mean that businesses should wait in that you need to start changing your data collection procedures as soon as possible to try to comply with with those state privacy laws. 
Yeah, it seems like it would be impossible to, on December 31st, try to learn to comply with these, right? This is something that takes some ramp up. That's right. Businesses need to have an understanding of the life cycle of their data, what they're collecting, where they're sending it, how long they're keeping it in order to comply with these various state laws. And that's not something that can be done in a day. Yeah. So it's habit change. It's policy change for businesses and then maybe some investment for folks as well. If cybersecurity and data privacy are not things that they've invested in along the way. Yes, that's right. I think the the mindset is shifting quite a bit in the business realm. Originally, it was collect everything we possibly can get. And now we're seeing a change to collect only the data you need and keep it for only as long as you need. And that's part of their risk mitigation strategy. Right. That makes perfect sense to me instead of keeping everything because the more you have, the more risk. That's right. Okay. Well, so if that's not enough, let's throw in the largest economy in the world, right? So there's another non-U.S. law that is about to take effect, isn't there? There is. So very timely question. China just passed its own comprehensive data privacy law, the personal information protection law called PIPL, because everything has to have an acronym here. Really does. We have to keep up with all of the acronyms. I guess you could call it the ABCs of data privacy. And that personal information law is effective November 1, 2021. So we have a very short ramp up period for our clients that are affected by the PIPL. And it affects both public and private sector institutions, any institutions that collect data of Chinese citizens. And so that's going to be another massive overhaul to the data privacy world in that we now have to change our procedures to collect data from data subjects located in China. So it seemed like a lot of hospitality and tourism clients, higher ed clients, and people who sell on the internet, who may be selling and reaching into the largest global economy. That's right. Just a few businesses. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Just a couple. Just a couple. All right. And that doesn't give you all much time to get ready. That's a pretty quick change. We don't see that typically. Even GDPR, we it came about and there was time to ramp up and comply, but there's no ramp up time here. That's right. So you only have until November 1st. It is a lot different than GDPR where we really had a two-year ramp up window And so hopefully we'll get more information and more implementing regulations to figure out exactly what is required. But like GDPR, it appears as if privacy notices and policies need to be changed and the way you collect data and when and if you need consent to collect data, all of those aspects of doing business in China will need to change within the next few months. All right. Well, that's not a lot of work though. Okay, great. Well, so U.S. law is fragmented and global law is changing. Like anything else, of course, ignorance of the law isn't a defense to any future action. So you can't put your head in the sand here. Can you give us a broad view of what a data privacy and cybersecurity lawyer does? Sure. So my day-to-day involves a little bit of everything, but I guess what I would first say is compliance obligations. So our clients need to comply with all of these data privacy laws that we're talking about. And what does that mean? They need to update internal policies, external policies. They need to be providing proper notice to individuals to be fully transparent. They also need to change their collection processes. And so I work with a lot of clients on that. They need to set forth playbooks on how they manage 
and handle these new privacy laws and also cybersecurity laws. I also focus a lot on risk assessment and risk mitigation. So what does that mean? Vendor review, are you providing data to vendors that that need to keep it safe and secure? Are you developing new technology and how do we mitigate risk in data collection there? How long are you keeping data for and and do you have proper retention schedules? And then also training. So the number one way to mitigate risk is to train your employees. And so we work a lot with clients on that and making sure that their employees are informed and have a knowledge base to protect data. The final aspect and probably the scariest aspect of my job for our clients is crisis management response, right? right? So if you have a cybersecurity incident, how do we assess the incident? Is it a data breach? Do we have to notify authorities? Do we need to get the relevant state authorities involved? Do we need to notify individuals? And then how do we remediate? So how do we fix the issues that we've learned throughout the crisis? So that's really where my focus as a data privacy and cybersecurity attorney lies. So it seems to me that clients should talk to a data privacy lawyer before there is an issue, shouldn't they, for that risk mitigation? That's right. So you'll hear it in the news all the time. It's no longer if you have a cybersecurity incident, it's when. And so clients need to prepare ahead of time for a cybersecurity incident. They need to set the playbook so that they can respond accordingly if and when, more likely when, they have a cybersecurity incident. I think clients now recognize that cybersecurity and data privacy issues are the biggest risks to their infrastructure and to their business. And compliance and risk assessment up front before you have an incident really helps to update your processes and your security posture before you have an incident. That makes perfect sense. And it's not based on business size. I think at first, smaller businesses were thinking, well, that's just for the big guys. That's not for me. But that isn't the case, is it? That's right. This affects every kind of business, every size, all for-profits, non-profits, small businesses, online entities only. Every business is at risk for a cybersecurity incident. And so they need to take care to make sure that they have set themselves up to handle those types of issues. All right. Well, so as the deputy chair of the practice group, can you tell us a little bit about the bond practice group generally? Like what types of lawyers are involved in this practice group? Is it cross-disciplinary or is everybody in the business doing the same kind of work? Sure. Great question. So the data privacy and cybersecurity group is an extremely diverse group of attorneys in that it is cross-disciplinary. So data privacy and cybersecurity touches every kind of entity, as I just said. And because of that, we have attorneys that assist with compliance and crisis management but also attorneys that assist in things like structuring a deal and an M&A deal to value data as an asset, or a labor attorney that drafts a bring-your-own-device policy for an employee handbook. We have litigation attorneys that deal with consumer actions in the data privacy realm, IP attorneys that assist with developing new technology, school law attorneys that help with privacy laws like Education Law 2D. So we have attorneys from every single department because data privacy and cybersecurity affects every single department. And that's been great for the practice group. But that diversity of practice must really help you all learn from each other as this develops. That's right. So the field develops so rapidly. I think we've seen a new data privacy or cybersecurity law in 
so many new sectors in the last five years. I don't think it would be an exaggeration to say that this changes weekly. And because of that, and we have because we have so many attorneys involved, it's a lot easier to stay on top of the issues for our clients and to be able to advise clients about data privacy and cybersecurity from every aspect of their business. It's not just a business transaction. It's not just a policy or potential risk mitigation for litigation, it's all of the above. And we have such a large group that we can stay up to date on the ever-changing landscape. That's great. And you know, you mentioned the valuation in a deal, particularly in in perhaps an M&A merger and acquisition. I really hadn't thought about that valuation aspect. You know, how much is this data worth? as we're trying to combine companies or takeovers, whatever the case may be. We thought IP valuation was difficult. This must be a a whole other ballgame. Yeah, it, it is. And it's really become a key part of a lot of deals. Not only that data is valuable and a huge part of the asset valuation, but also that it carries inherent risk. So when you want to take in new data in a deal, one of the due diligence questions you need to ask is, is this data corrupt? Is it safe to take on? Has it been collected properly in compliance with applicable privacy laws? And so it's become a very complex part of deals and transactions. Right, because you could be taking on a large risk. That's right. Wow. I mean, it's pretty fascinating that just typing my information into those many online shopping carts that I do create such a problem. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, your your shopping addiction has fueled some problems in the transaction world. (laughs) Um, All right. So I bet you thought you were done with tests after the bar exam, but you've taken steps to increase your knowledge of cybersecurity and you have extra letters after your name, C-I-P-P slash E. Can you tell us what that means? Sure. Yes, I did think I was done with exams after the bar exam. In fact, I think I swore it to myself that I would never take another one. But I think you may have sworn it publicly, but I think that's right. (laughs) I have what's called a SIP certification, a CIPP certification, which stands for a Certified Information Privacy Professional Certification with a concentration in European data privacy. And what that is, is it's a professional certification offered by the International Association of Privacy Professionals. Another acronym for you, it's the IAPP. And I I did some training and took an exam and thankfully passed that test and am now certified as a privacy professional. That's fantastic. So but why was it important for you to do that? Well, I thought it was really important to study and learn and continually learn in the field that I'm in because it changes so much. And the SIP certification provides that type of training and continual learning. You're actually required to take continuing learning education credits on a yearly basis, just like you are as an attorney. And so I have to maintain those credits as well. I also thought it was important to obtain the relevant professional certifications in the industry and that I work. So I focus so much on data privacy and the IAPP provides invaluable resources once you become a SIP certified professional. And I maintain contacts all over the globe now. That's fantastic. Uh, so it's been a great resource. Yeah. Yeah. Well, congratulations. And that's, that's fantastic. I know that was earlier this, was that earlier this year? It's all a blur. Yeah, that's right. It was actually at the end of last year, I added it to my pandemic to-do list, but I am likely to take the U.S. certification as well. So we'll add that one in too. 
that sounds great. All right, very good. So you're not done with tests, Amber. Not done. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I learned something recently that October is National Cybersecurity Awareness Month here in the U.S. That seems like a relatively new commemoration. Is the purpose to increase the general knowledge base so people or businesses can feel more safe and secure online? Yes, that's right. So National Cybersecurity Awareness Month is meant to bring about the importance of cybersecurity awareness for people and businesses generally so that they understand the cyber risks that are out there for themselves. And as you've seen in the news every day, there's a new cybersecurity incident, an attack, ransomware, phishing, a data breach, and it's caused so many issues for our clients and for individuals in general that we're hopeful that this month will help to drive up knowledge and understanding of what's out there in the world. And when you do provide your data, when you're purchasing something online, what that means and how to safely and securely go about making those purchases. So is there any particular way, like, will you all as a practice group get together for some type of virtual celebration of this month? Or are there other ways you'll mark the month? (laughs) We actually have lots of content that we'll be sending out this month to help bring about knowledge and information about cybersecurity awareness and how we move forward with that. So look for lots of info coming out of the cybersecurity and data privacy practice group including information on relevant laws, cybersecurity insurance, policies, trainings, and next steps. We actually also have a great webinar planned on ransomware, ransom awareness, we're calling it, ransomware, and incident response plans for ransomware. So look out for that as well. And then I think the practice group will probably also have a celebratory meeting for cybersecurity awareness. (laughs) I I would think so. I just did a quick Google search And the hits were everything from the Department of Homeland Security to vendors and educational institutions. So this really is, you know, a bit of a thing. Yeah, I think so. I don't think it's going away anytime soon. I think we'll see a greater focus across all sectors on cybersecurity and data privacy awareness in the hopes that we can mitigate some of the cyber incidents you're seeing now in the news every single day. So I don't think it's going away anytime soon. And I'm happy to hear that it's becoming so relevant. Well, I'm going to wish you a happy or the best for National Cybersecurity Awareness Month then. And it's a good reminder to listeners to pay attention to data privacy, both for businesses and, of course, personally. So get those phishing exercises going. Put a call in to your data privacy lawyer. This is a PSA on things you should pay attention to. So thanks, Amber. I really appreciate it. That was great information. Thanks for having me. So it's always good to talk to you and hear about how this is going. And I think we're going to have to have you come back to update us on New York and other laws in the future. Is that a deal? That's a deal. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Legally Bond. If you're listening and have any questions for me, want to hear from someone at the firm, or have a suggestion for a future topic, please email us at legallybond at bsk.com. Also, Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Legally Bond wherever podcasts are downloaded. Until our next talk, be well. Bond, Shenick, and King has prepared this communication to present only general information. This is not intended as legal advice, nor should you consider it as such. You should not act or decline to act based upon the contents. While we try to make sure that the information is complete and accurate, Laws can change quickly. 
You should always formally engage a lawyer of your choosing before taking actions which have legal consequences. For information about our communication, firm, practice areas, and attorneys, visit our website, bsk.com. This is Attorney Advertising.